Hey guys, I'm your host Tara A. Devlin, and welcome to this week's episode of Koobana, true Japanese scary stories from around the internet. Have you picked up my latest book yet? Kijo, Japan's Most Notorious Female Criminals, is now out. If you want to hear about some of the horrifying, bizarre, and often confusing crimes that some of Japan's most notorious female criminals have committed, do check it out. It's available on Amazon right now. If you ask people what they're afraid of, many of them will answer with the same thing. Humans. Humans are often far more terrifying than the supernatural. And this week, we're looking at some weird, frightening, and often bizarre interactions with our fellow man. No ghosts here. Just people that might be your neighbours, your friends, your classmates or colleagues. First up, a young girl moves to a new school and makes friends with a girl who has a similar family background to her own. But when she goes over to her house one day, things very quickly get confusing and more than a little unsettling. Find out why in... Mannequin. I have absolutely no sixth sense. Therefore, I've never once seen a ghost, nor have I heard one. Even so, I once experienced something scary when I was in junior high school, so I'd like to tell you about it. My father passed away when I was 14, so we moved back to my mother's family home. My grandfather on my mother's side had passed away long ago, so there was just us three girls living there. Me, my mum, and my grandmother. I still hadn't recovered from the shock of my father dying, and I was immediately thrown into a new environment I couldn't get used to. I was anxious, but thankfully, my new classmates were kind to me, perhaps out of pity or something. One girl in particular, Esko, was really kind to me. She always showed me her textbook and would chat with me. We became close friends, and I started to open up to those around me again. Roughly two months later, I was messing around with everyone and having fun again. Now, there was this really cute girl in our class called F. For some reason, I was attracted to her. Of course, I don't mean this in a strange way. She was the type of girl that even other girls would find cute. Kinda small and such. But as someone of the same sex, I did like her. I'm kind of tall and dark, so looking back on it now, maybe I was a little envious of her. Trying to get someone to like you can be pretty effective, so when it was time to switch up the seeding order and we ended up in the same group, we started chatting more and more. And when I found out that she was from a single mother household as well, we grew even closer. In F's case, it wasn't that her father died, but rather that he ran off with another woman, or something like that. When I learnt that she was also living in a female-only household, I was glad from the bottom of my heart that we had become friends. But that only lasted for a short period of time, until I went over to her house. I don't remember why I went to visit her house that day. It happened quite a long time ago, but more importantly, what I saw at her house that day left far more of an impression on me and so everything else became unimportant. Esko was there as well. Up until that point, she didn't seem to like F very much and 
didn't seem to like me being friends with her either. Despite all that, I don't remember why she joined me. But at any rate, both of us stopped by F's house on our way home from school, even though it was in the entirely opposite direction to ours. Her house was honestly a noticeably old one-story house. The wood was warped, and there was almost no yard space. There was just a 50 centimetre gap between their house and the neighbours. I was a little surprised, but also embarrassed because I thought that my grandmother's house was kind of old, and clearly they were struggling to make ends meet as well. Mom! F called out, and a beautiful woman with a few wrinkles on her smiling face came out from the back. She then bowed so deeply towards Esco and I that I again felt ashamed. She seemed to be doing the laundry and had some towels and underwear in her hands. I'll get you something to drink. She seemed overly happy, and I thought it had to be because her daughter didn't often bring friends back to the house. F then actually said it out loud. I don't often bring people back here. I ordered myself not to be surprised if F's room turned out to not be very girly. I didn't want to feel superior to her if that was the case. But what I saw when she opened the door to her room was beyond even what I expected. I mentioned earlier that F was very pretty, and so of course, she paid close attention to how she looked and her fashion. Her room was even more girly than I expected with brightly coloured curtains and some stuffed toys sitting on her desk. But there was one thing that didn't quite fit. The thing standing in the corner of the room, looking at me. A mannequin. No doubt about it, it was a male mannequin. I can't forget the sight of it, even now. Both arms were bent into the shape of a W, and it was staring right at me. The face was rather plain, as you would expect from a mannequin, but that just made its gaze seem even more hollow and lifeless. It was also wearing a bright red sweatshirt and hat. It might be a little rude to say, but the mannequin appeared to be wearing nicer clothes than the woman we had just met. What is... Esco and I looked at F in surprise, but she didn't seem particularly fussed. She approached the mannequin and then adjusted the hat on its head. Seeing her do that gave me goosebumps. Cool, isn't it? She said, but her tone was rather monotonous. The way she spoke and the fact she didn't sound very happy just made me feel even more horrified. Welcome, welcome! F's mother entered the room with a tray full of cakes and tea, saving us from the awkward moment. Esco must have felt as strange as I did. She reached out for the plates and started lining them up on the table. I wanted to help, but there were only four plates. I wondered if her mum was going to join us, so I suddenly stopped. But then her mum took a plate with some cake on it and a tea and, smiling, placed them on F's desk, right next to the mannequin. This place is not right, I thought. I broke out into a cold sweat that you could clearly see through my clothes and it wouldn't stop. 
F stared at the tea on the desk next to the mannequin. From where I was standing, I could only see her hair. Then she suddenly turned around, stuck a fork into the cake as though nothing had happened, and passed the sugar jar to us. I wanted to ask her about the mannequin. They treated it like it was a real person, giving it cake and even dressing it. It was top quality service. But neither F nor her mother said anything about it. What do they think that is? I wondered. They certainly didn't treat it like a mannequin, but if they thought of it as a human, then they would refer to it as him or that person. And they didn't do that once. The fact that they didn't really commit to either side was unnerving to me. What would F say if I asked her about it? I had a feeling that no matter what answer she gave, it would end with me screaming. No matter how you looked at it, it wasn't normal. I looked for something to talk about. There was a birdcage in the corner of the room. Anything that wasn't the mannequin. As long as I could still see her as the F I knew from school, I felt like everything would be okay. Do you have a bird? I asked. Not anymore. I see. I'm sorry. I didn't need it anymore. The way she answered was so cold. It was like she didn't care about the bird she had raised at all. I wanted to go home. I wanted to get the hell out of there. That place was too weird. If I stayed there too long, I might go mad as well. Where's the toilet? Esco suddenly asked, standing up. Go down the hall, and then it's just outside, F answered. Esco left the room right away. At that moment, I honestly cursed her. I kept staring at the ground. I was convinced that no matter what we talked about, it would be impossible to communicate. It felt like forever until we heard the sound of footsteps, but in reality, it was probably only a few minutes. Esco poked her face through the door and said, I'm sorry, we have to go home now. Her face was pale, and she refused to look at F the whole time. Really? Okay, I'll see you later then, F said. The offhand way she said it nearly made me pass out. Esco gripped my hand tightly and tried to pull me outside, but I thought we should at least say goodbye to F's mother first. I wasn't brave enough to face her, but I went to call out to her in the back of the house. The sliding doors opposite F's room were open about 20 centimetres. Excuse me. I was surprised I could even talk, but at that moment, a hand shot out of the gap in the door and then slammed the sliding doors shut. Both of us ran out of there as fast as we could. We pedalled our bikes home as fast as we could. Esco rode in front of me in silence the whole time, as if she wanted to get even just one metre further away from that place if she could. When we finally reached somewhere where we thought we could rest, we stopped and bought a drink and rested. We shouldn't hang out with her anymore, Esco said. It wasn't something she had to tell me. That place is crazy. F2. But there was something strange about her mother. She was completely... Her mum? 
Esko then told me what happened when she went to the toilet. When she left F's room, the sliding doors next to it were open. As Esko walked past them, she just happened to look inside. There were four or five mannequin arms just lying on the ground. And F's mother was sitting on a cushion next to them, licking one of the arms like mad. Esko quickly finished up in the toilet and then nervously passed by the sliding doors on her way back. She quickly glanced into the room and found that F's mother was glaring at her. The smile that had been on her face earlier was entirely gone and her eyes were fixed square on her. Where the mannequin arms had been was just a pile of laundry. She noticed some men's pants mixed in as well. Where are the mannequins? Esko said before she could stop herself. But F's mother didn't say a thing. She just grinned in Esko's direction. That was right before Esko grabbed me to leave. The whole thing was so creepy that we stopped talking to F unless she spoke to us first. Then, slowly, we grew further and further apart. We thought about telling everyone what happened, but we didn't think anyone would believe us. Even if I told some of F's close friends, they would no doubt just think we were trying to break them up or something. Everyone knew that Esko and F weren't very close, after all. I secretly spoke with people who had also gone to F's house, but they apparently didn't see anything strange there. And so, it wasn't a very good situation for us. There was only one person, a boy, who said, Come to think of it, I did have a strange experience there. He went to F's house and rang the doorbell, but nobody answered. She knew he was coming, so somebody should have been there. But at any rate, he decided to wait. Maybe they were somewhere down the back and didn't hear him, he thought. So he grabbed the door knock and banged on the door instead. Then he peeked inside. The sliding doors were open. I don't know if they were the same ones Esko spoke about. And he could see inside the room. He could see the back of a man wearing a yukata. He was sitting with his legs crossed and facing away from him. He couldn't hear any voices, but the TV seemed to be on. Blue light occasionally flashed on his back, like the flashing of a CRT. He called out numerous times, but not only did the man not turn around, he didn't even budge, not once. He was so creeped out that he left and went home. No men lived in F's house. And even supposing that the man was a relative or a friend of her mother's, why did he have his back to the TV? Did the pants Esko saw perhaps belong to him? Maybe it was actually that mannequin, I thought. But did mannequins exist that could sit cross-legged like that? If so, then it had to be different to the one that was in F's room. Did that mean... There were several mannequins in that household. I didn't want to think about it any further. Fourteen years have passed since then, so I'm able to look back on it a little more calmly now. I sometimes tell this story to people that have nothing to do with my hometown. I still honestly have no idea what that thing was. 
If F wanted to keep it a secret, then why did she show it to Esco? I could understand if it was just me, as we were friends. But no matter how I look at it, I can't find a satisfactory answer. Come to think of it, I've never seen a mannequin with its arms in the shape of a W before. That would make it impossible to put clothes on, wouldn't it? But those red clothes fit it perfectly. Almost like it had put them on itself. People can be confusing creatures. What they do doesn't always make sense, and the more you try to make sense of it, the more terrifying that unknown becomes. In this next story, a man runs into a woman late one night and offers her some help. It's an action he soon regrets. Find out why in Tiger and Dragon. I don't know if this is a scary story exactly, but it happened to me last Friday. Our company is located in an area with a lot of IT companies, somewhere on the outskirts of town. Late at night, the area gets pitch black, and the last bus leaves around 10pm. So, I was working pretty late doing some overtime, and it was already 2am by the time I was done. I was the last person there, so I locked up the office and went down to the car park. When I locked up the office, everything in the nearby area went out too, like the lights in the car park and such, so it was pretty much pitch black and I had to rely on my phone light at my feet to see as I walked. Suddenly, I heard something that sounded like a bike suddenly braking a short distance away. I heard it so clearly that it surprised me and I jumped. It freaked me out, so I rushed over to my car. I breathed a sigh of relief when I got to the car and when I turned it on, the automatic lights flicked on. As they did, I saw a fallen bicycle a short distance away. I suddenly remembered the sound of the brakes I'd just heard, and all the blood drained from my face. Panicking, I put the car into drive and turned the lights on to high beam. Then I saw a figure lying on the ground past the bike that I hadn't been able to see before. I hesitated, but it didn't feel right to leave somebody there when I could clearly see them, so I got out and asked, are you okay? It was a rather young woman. She looked to be about 25 or 26 years old. There was no reply, so I called out again. Shall I call an ambulance? This time she said something, but I couldn't hear it very well. I asked her to repeat it. Take me to the nearest bus stop, she said. To be quite honest, I was starting to regret matters. But what else could I do? I opened the passenger's side door. Come on, I said, but she got in the back seat instead. The nearest bus stop was only three minutes away, so I quickly started the car. I wanted this over and done with. We drove there in complete silence. I looked into the rearview mirror to see how she was doing, but she was sitting right behind the driver's seat so I couldn't see her at all. The bus stop was just up ahead. I started to slow down, but then she finally spoke. Not here! She screamed so loud I thought my heart was going to burst. Eh? 
Do you mean the next stop then? I asked. Yes. Again, what could I do? I kept going. It was five minutes until the next stop, so I tried not to worry about it too much. Every now and then I could hear a sound coming from the back, although it was hard to tell if she was laughing or crying with the sound coming from right behind me. When we arrived at the next stop, she got out of the car before I could even say anything. She didn't even say thank you, and after confirming that she had actually gotten out of the car, I got ready to leave. I didn't want anything more to do with this strange situation, but then I suddenly heard someone tapping on my driver's side window. It was the woman. She gestured for me to wind the window down. It wasn't like I could refuse, so I did, and she smiled at me. Thanks, was all she said. Then she took off the jacket she was wearing. All I could see was her bare skin. If that was it, then fine. But it wasn't. Her entire upper body was covered in tattoos. The front was a tiger. Then she turned around and showed me her back. It was covered in a tattoo of a dragon. She picked up the jacket she'd taken off, put it back on, hailed a taxi, and then went back in the direction we had just come from. And that was that. Sorry if there was no real punchline, but it was a real, strange experience that I actually had. Do you really know what goes on in your apartment or house when you go out for the day? How would you know if somebody was in there using it while you were out? What if you came home one night and discovered they were still there? That's exactly what happens to the woman in this next story. Find out what happens in Trespasser. This happened when I started living in a two-bedroom apartment. I was coming home one night just a few weeks after we had moved in, and my younger sister wasn't yet home at the time. When you went through the front door, the toilet and washroom were on the left, and straight ahead was the bathroom door and the light switch. It was raining that day, and my socks were soaked, so I took them off at the front door, wrung the water out, then threw them towards the bathroom. I just happened to hit the light switch, and so the bathroom lights turned on. It was one of those large switches that have become popular recently. Anyway, when that happened, a naked man came running out of the bathroom. It was so sudden that I was speechless. I just stopped, like, eh? Huh? But I guess he thought that I would be standing by the switch as well, so he stopped when he saw me standing by the front door instead. The moment he turned towards me, I took off out the front door and ran. We were on the third floor, and I'll never forget the fear I felt as I ran downstairs being chased by a naked man. I still get chills whenever I sense someone behind me, so I can't even ride the train or anything. I ran into a nearby store, and the people there called the police for me. They came back to my apartment with me, but the man was gone by then. There was no sign that the lock had been damaged, and... I had most definitely locked the door behind me when I left, so that meant 
the perpetrator had to be the person who lived there before us. Turned out, the man had lived in the apartment for just a short period before us and, because he returned everything, including the master key, they never changed the locks. And it wasn't even the first time he had done it either. He would rent apartments for a short time that didn't require any key deposit money, deliberately picking old rentals or privately owned lots that looked like they would be too cheap to change the locks. And then, he would sneak in after with a copy of the key. We always locked the door with the chain when we were at home, but he never tried to get in while we were there. But it gave me chills to learn that he would sometimes sneak in when we weren't there. Our final story for this week took place over several days and several posts, which I've joined into a single story. It was also finished by another person entirely but tells the tale of two friends who stumbled upon an apparently abandoned village deep in the mountains, only to discover it wasn't quite as abandoned as it seemed. Find out why in Mountain Bike. I live in Miyazaki Prefecture, and the other day I found this amazing village. I went cycling with one of my friends last Saturday, and we decided to go somewhere we'd never been before. I think the place was somewhere on the way to Kitago from Aoshima. The road got smaller and smaller, and then finally it turned into an unpaved path with no telephone poles. We went further and further into the mountains. About two hours later, the path split into two, and one side had a no-entry sign for some reason. So, without thinking, we went down the other way. But that was a mistake. We should have noticed it at the time, but we were so wrapped up in our trip that we didn't pay any attention to it. I mean, you don't usually see signs out in places like that, right? 10 or 20 minutes later, things started to feel a little unpleasant. My friend also seemed to understand that we'd found ourselves somewhere dangerous. I mean... There were kimonos thrown around everywhere. We stopped on the spot, but then for some reason, we decided to keep going. Not long after that, we found four abandoned buildings that looked like houses. It was hard to tell how old they were, but sensing danger, we tried to flee. At that moment, we heard a rustling nearby, and when we looked over, an old woman with messy hair was staring right at us. We'd lost it and ran. We could hear a voice coming from behind us, although I couldn't figure out what it was saying, nor did I want to. We fled all the way back to the asphalt road. It was honestly terrifying. But I'm gonna head back there again today with my friend. I'll come back with a report if I discover anything new. So, we went back yesterday. We took a map this time to confirm where the location was. First, we made our way from Mount Tsubaki towards Kitago. Mount Tsubaki is basically a single road, but there's a few small paths that branch off once you start climbing and start to descend. The route we took on the way down passed a river, and after crossing that, we had to follow it for a while. It was mostly animal paths along the way, and it took us about 40 minutes 
but because it was daytime, it was rather fun. After that, the river got smaller and smaller, then finally disappeared. Everything grew dense and bushy from there. Then, another 25 minutes later, it was on the left. And that was where the road in question was. Now, the road was pretty small, but it was on the map. Although, I don't think it specified where it led. Anyway, we had to summon up all our courage to follow it, but I think it was easier this time because it was earlier in the day than the first time we found it. From there, we found the split in the road about ten minutes later. We decided that we'd go down the road leading to that little village, the one without the no-entry sign. We had three goals. One, figure out what that village was. Two, figure out why anyone would live there. It wasn't very convenient. And three, solve the mystery of the kimonos. So, if we ran into any of the inhabitants, this time we wouldn't run away, but rather pretend that we were lost and ask them some questions. About five or six minutes later, we reached the area with all the kimonos thrown around. The last time I saw them, I could have sworn there were dead bodies beneath them, but that turned out not to be the case. They all looked rather old and dirty, however, and they didn't appear to be modern kimonos. From afar, I counted four of them, and one of them was children-sized, so I was a little scared. At this point, I was honestly so scared that I wanted to turn back, but my friend took the initiative, and so I followed. The first thing we saw in the nearby clearing was the house where that old lady had been. As we approached it, it was clear that nobody lived there. Inside was full of dried grass or hay or something, as well as broken pieces of wood. The house next to that, however, seemed to have someone living in it, although we couldn't sense anyone inside. We went right up to it and looked through the large windows. What we saw shocked us. That old lady was there. Frightened, we pulled back from the house a little, but she seemed to be asleep. I prayed that she wasn't dead. We were so frightened that we ran all the way back to the split in the road. We chatted about what to do for a while, but in the end we decided not to wake her up, but rather walk down the other side of the road, the one with the no entry sign. We went down that side of the road, but, well, I don't know if I should write this down, but I had a bad feeling about it. At any rate, I'll just say that it wasn't like a curse or something like that. About two or three minutes after passing the no entry sign, which was written in red old-fashioned letters, by the way, we came across a strange stake that seemed to have fallen to the ground. No matter how you looked at it, it didn't seem like it had always been there. The letters at the top of the stake were mostly faded, but the bottom said something like, Something something construction. Expected completion. June. Showa 65. The Showa era ended in Showa 64 though, so the stake must have been put up a year or two before that. But why was it there? I got goosebumps. About five minutes from that stake, we came across something I didn't want to see. 
There was a cemetery with people's names engraved on wooden sticks. I didn't know much about the area, but I remember the blooming flowers there were beautiful. I felt like I understood why that no entry sign was there. I think it was to keep strangers from messing up their sacred land. The name of the person on the grave closest to me was a really old name. I won't disclose it here. So I think they must have died a long time ago. Let's go home for today, my friend said. And so we went back. Needless to say, I said a little prayer for them. We'll have to talk to that old lady if we want to know what type of place it is, so next time we'll definitely have to speak to her. I finally finished work. I've been a bit busy recently. So I talked to a forester who lives nearby. Let's call him Aisan. And he told me the story he heard from his grandmother. First of all, the name of that mountain is Mount Kaichigo, and apparently it's a sacred place of legend from mythology long ago. There was a tribe that worshipped the mountain as a kami long ago, and after that, it was said that members of the Heike clan apparently fled deep into the mountain as well. There's a legend passed down that states the mountain is protected by those who once lived there long ago, and Aisan's grandmother had memories of playing in that village on the mountain when she was a child. It was a really small village at the time that was distinct from the other villages in Kitagol, and he said there was a tribe of people who, those from Kitagol, even worshipped. Hearing that, I thought that maybe that place we found was the remnants of that village. The last time we went there, I was so scared I kinda just froze on the spot and couldn't look at anything. But if we had gone further into the village, then maybe we might have run into whatever it was that they worshipped. I'm gonna head back there this evening, so I'll report back with what I find. And about that grave tablet too. I'm heading over to my friend's house now. Something terrible happened. I'll write about it once I get back. I don't know if I should, but I feel like I have to. I'll be right back. We left at 6.30 today, but it was starting to get pretty dark by the time we finally got to the entrance of that village. Because it was so dark, we took a torch, not turned on, and walked through the forest, and when we reached the fork in the road, we noticed that the no entry sign was gone. And then we realised something there was a light on in that village up ahead. My friend decided that today was the day we would talk to the village inhabitants, and so he bravely continued on ahead. The last time we were there, I thought there were only four houses, but there was one more at the far end of the village attached to the mountain. We could see lights coming from that building, as well as one more, the same building we had seen the old woman in. At this point, we realised that the old woman wasn't the only person in the village, and that other building didn't look like something a person might live in either. We were pretty damn frightened by that point, all things considered. We didn't know what to do, but my friend continued forward, bit by bit. Then, next thing we heard a sound, and a door opened. Thinking we were in trouble, I ran as fast as I could. 
I couldn't stand how scared I was any longer. And behind me, I heard a voice screaming something I couldn't understand. I kept running all the way past the split in the road. It was then that I realised something. My friend wasn't with me. I was filled with both fear and remorse, and I wasn't sure what to do. I decided that I would wait a little for my friend to join me, and if he didn't, then I would have to go back to the village for him. Five or ten minutes passed. There was no sign of my friend, and so I returned to the village. But just as I passed the fork in the road, my friend staggered towards me. I asked him what was wrong, but he seemed to be in shock and not quite all there. I dragged him back to our bikes and when I asked him what happened again, he said, You should just leave it alone. What do you mean? I asked. That's a sacred place, he said. We shouldn't be going there for fun. He claimed that the old woman kept screaming something he couldn't understand as she beat him. Then a man pushed him aside. He was in so much shock that we took a break at a nearby joyful restaurant until my friend calmed down. Then we went home. I called his house once I got back, but according to his mother, he was already asleep in bed. So my friend said that right after I ran away, he was unable to move, but then when he realised that I was gone, he came back to his senses. First, a small man grabbed him and then said something to him, but he doesn't remember what it was. I asked him if he understood what was being said to him, but apparently he was so afraid and confused that he wasn't sure. But either way, the intent seemed to be, don't come here again. He tried to run away after that, but then the old woman approached him and started hitting him with a stick or something. And then finally, the man kicked him out. Then I asked him another question. I asked him how old that man was, and he said that he had a big bushy beard and wore strange clothes. He was probably in his 50s or 60s. I asked him how the clothes were strange, but all he could remember was that they were different to the dirty clothes of a homeless person. Then he got up in a kind of daze and there was a path that led to the graveyard we visited that time. Maybe it was a road connecting the village to the graveyard. There he saw a different old lady walking along the road, but all she did was glare at him. She didn't say or do anything. But even though she didn't say or do anything, he still felt pain. I asked him why, and he said that it was like the old woman's eyes were staring daggers at him, and it was like something was squeezing his heart. As we were talking, I suddenly realised something. Maybe someone visited that village after I wrote all this down here. That no entry sign is now gone, and the people who lived there were all angry. And regarding the language my friend heard there, I was thinking that maybe it's a unique language that originated in that village. I feel like it's the kind of language that comes out naturally when trying to express one's anger. But I think the people who live there can also speak Japanese as well. I mean, 
They wrote no entry on the sign. Although, that sign wasn't there today. Hmm. But then, it's also possible that an outsider could have put it there too. That's true. At this point, a different person joined the story. After seeing this thread, I wanted to check it out for myself. I went over to the site right away. I wanted to know whether it was a real place or not, but something pretty crazy happened. I went over to a friend's house to discuss what to do, so I got home pretty late. Let me tell you what happened. First, let's start with the process of what happened. Four of us who saw this thread decided to go exploring. We didn't find the no entry sign, so we just went forward anyway. We found a grave. Just a regular countryside grave. So we took a different route. We then found a few old, rotting houses. We heard a sound coming from a small house in the back. Talking, maybe. We went over and there was nobody inside. Nothing. We checked from the window. Then we went to leave and the incident happened. Sadly, the grave we saw was just a regular grave. But looking at it, it didn't seem to be the grave of someone who lived there. There were also a few offerings and such there. It might have been there for a while, but it was still there. Maybe it was the grave of someone from nearby. The name was pretty normal as well. I remember thinking that the place was pretty disappointing. But there was a forest growing beyond the grave and I could feel someone looking at me from the small thicket in front of it. We talked about it as we walked away. I didn't dare say anything at the time, but apparently everyone felt that same sensation of being watched as well. But sadly, I don't know if it was exactly the same place. You'll have to forgive me for leaving out some of the details, but I spoke to some of the residents, and apparently the people still living there have been there since long ago. All their children moved out to the big city, and so they live pretty self-sufficiently there all by themselves. But they sometimes get visitors because there are rumours that the area is haunted and such, and these people mess up the area. They even show up at night, meaning the residents can't sleep. That's why they chase people away. I don't think they need to apologise for that. And the mysterious words when they chase people away? Apparently, they switch to their local dialect and speak fast when angry, so that's why it sounds strange. So, I recommend not going near that village anymore and causing trouble to the villagers there. Don't forget to pick up Kijo, Japan's most notorious female criminals, available on Amazon right now, and check out our newly revamped merchandise store at kowabana.store. And if you'd like to chat about this week's stories, come and join us in the Kowabana Discord. You can find that link in the description or on kowabana.net. You can also check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Tara A. Devlin for exclusive bonus stories and extras, or our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash kowabanajapan for all sorts of Japanese horror you won't find anywhere else. Thanks, guys. Stay safe, and I'll see you again next time for even more Kowabana. True Japanese scary stories from around the internet. Want even more scary stories? Head over to kowabana.net for new translations every week. You can also join our Patreon 
for exclusive stories you won't find anywhere else. Head over to koabana.net now.